Welcome back to 50 States of Mind. A lot has changed in the world since our last episode. Things have gotten even more dire within our democracy. So it seemed like a great opportunity to dive back in, have difficult conversations, re-examine our preconceived notions, and be self-critical to try to understand what is really going on on the ground through stories from all 50 states. I'm Ryan Bernston, and welcome back to 50 States of Mind. Okay, welcome back to 50 States of Mind. I know I say this every single week that I've got a very special guest, one of my favorite people, but this time I mean it. No, <laughs> I've got Ravenclaw from Glenn, Louise herself. Louise, tell me where you're calling in from and let the people know how we know each other. Ryan, I'm sure you say that to all your guests, just buttering them up. So I'm not even going to take that as a compliment. I'm sitting here in the very cold, unusually cold Houston, Texas today, preparing for another freeze. So hopefully not as bad as the last one where everyone's power got shut off. But um, yeah, we're, we're going into freezing temperatures, which is quite exciting for us. Okay, so like it's not usually like this in Houston. I've never been. No. Yesterday I was wearing like shorts and a t-shirt. It was sunny, sweating, you know, AC is blasting. And then tomorrow... It will be 33 degrees, heating will be on, probably power will be out. So you never know what you're going to get in this in this state. <laughs> Is it because there are rolling blackouts, issues with the power grid? I, I seem to remember that from a few months ago. Yeah, so last year we had this like historic free we're always having historic weather events in houston we had hurricane harvey which is the thousand year hundred thousand year flood whatever it was um and then the freeze last year it was around this time and our power grid is not part of the national grid so texas basically was like no we don't want to be on your grid we want our own very texan thing to do mm-hmm. but what ended up happening is when it gets overwhelmed you can't then just turn to your neighbor in Louisiana and say, hey, can you funnel us some power so that we can get all of these homes back up and running? Once you're out of power on the grid, you're out of power on the grid. So it was really bad. We did not lose power, my husband and I, but my mom and dad, they stayed with us for two nights. They had no power, no water, and some people had no power for hmm, 14 days. So... I think now it usually is flood is like the boogeyman of Houston, but it's slowly becoming freeze. Whenever you hear the word freeze, everyone is like, you know, ransacking the grocery stores and stocking up on water and batteries and yeah, candles and everything. So that's where we are. But right now it's nice and toasty. So if you were to go ransack a store, what would be your top three Uh, survival materials that you'd be ransacking for? Well, I think a lot of people would say toilet paper, but I am... You don't give a shit about toilet paper. I am famously a white woman in my 30s with stomach issues, so not a problem for me. Um, But food is really important to me, so some good non-perishables, like something to make like a really good peanut butter and jelly sandwich, I think would be top of mind. And... Yeah, probably like wine and water, and I'll be set. That's all you need. Wow, cheap, cheap date, <laughs> cheap date in the freeze. Uh, the way to Louise's heart. Uh, uh, you don't know. I might not drink cheap wine, Ryan. Cheeky. Oh, I, I guess that's true. That's I. <laughs> I also don't know how much wine you drink. Well, actually, I do kind of know. And that's a story for another time. So, uh, <laughs> so what? Tell tell the world how how did we meet? How do we know each other? Well, famously, we were on the award-winning television show Hogwarts Tournament of Houses. It is just won an award, so we can say that now. What, what, um, was it like a producing guild award? Yeah, I think produ- Producers Guild for like best children's television show. You think so, we were appropriate for children? So, sorry Muppets, but Hogwarts Tournament of Houses is here. Move um, over, Grover. Louise is coming for your, <laughs> your target audience. Um, I came out of my hotel room and saw a very cute kind of guy in the hallway. And, you know, it was the first day, so we, we didn't know who each other were. 
no, and, and I don't know if you were the same, but I was kind of like looking for people like, are they on the show? Are they a contestant? Are they a potential contestant? And I feel like her eyes just locked and I was like, he's, he's a contestant. And um, yeah, I was going down to get dinner in the lobby and I told you that you should come. And that was the birth of what I think is a very precious friendship now. Oh, you do feel that way? Yeah. Yeah, I got to have to me too. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh. No, I totally, I totally agree. And I, I don't think I've actually ever told you this, but when I asked, you know, where you were, first of all, when you saw me, I had been pacing up and down the hallway for the past <laughs> 30 minutes because we were not really allowed to leave the hotel and not encouraged to leave our hotel room. And I needed some exercise because I was like, if I'm going to be on the show, I want to be in peak condition. Um, and you sort of caught me in this weird, you know, psycho stalker situation. But you introduced yourself and you said you were from Houston. And I just kind of conjured up this picture of you because we didn't talk for very long. And then I saw you again and I heard you had a Scottish accent. And everything <laughs> about my perception of you changed. Although it's kind of this basic girl from Houston. And then all of a sudden I was like, oh, but she's Scottish. It just like really transformed your entire brand. Not that you were basic, but just like, oh, oh just thanks. like tech, some Texas girl. So that just shows the preconceived notions. Um, yeah, but then you told me that you had lived in Scotland. We kind of got talking. And that, I think, also I was... Anytime I talk to someone who has spent, like, more than a vacation in a place like Scotland, it's almost like you instantly know you're going to get along with them. Because people who have spent extended amount of time in the UK, understand that it's not just like a, oh, outlander and like beautiful green rolling hills and Buckingham Palace. Like, you know, there's a there's a whole different, I feel, vibe, sense of humour. And if you can live amongst that, I think that means you're a pretty cool person. I will say, I was this right here, this personality, forged in fire by the, <laughs> the Scots that were in my life. <laughs> Like, they, giving people shit is in the Scottish DNA. Like, my Scottish friends that I was over there working on a show with, like, absolutely ruthless, brutal, hilarious, in a way that I don't feel like people are in the U.S. Do you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And it's so bad that my mom always says that my sister and I could never move back to Scotland because America has made us too nice. I haven't seen that from you yet, but... Oh, okay, well, that's because I'm talking to you, and you bring out the worst in me. So, <laughs> there we go. But it's also, so... like, it's not it's not mean-spirited a lot of the time. It can, I mean, I feel like a British person can, like, especially people from the North, can, like, take people down easily, just, like, in a war of words. But most of the time, this kind of, like, shit-talking is funny it's like good humored it's the reason that like see you next tuesday is such a popular word in scotland mm. but it can be used as like a term of endearment you use that with your friends with your family and i i think yeah a lot of people in america struggle with that like are they being mean are they being nice like i can't really tell but i think like scottish people british people inherently understand like the line between yeah being a dick and being funny <laughs> Yeah, and there's something about when they go for things that are, like, kind of brutally honest. Like, if, if they've said something to me that I'm like, whoa, I'm really sensitive about that, and I don't like to, like, I, I can't believe you went for that, somehow it makes me feel better about it. Well, famously, I... <laughs> I don't know why I keep saying famously. It's just because we were on an award. It's because we were on an award-winning television show. But yeah, yeah. in that show, I mean, I really lost the plot and was kind of the reason that our team didn't advance to the final. And the absolute ripping that has continued. I mean, that was months ago from within my family. It has just been absolutely brutal, but it has weirdly made me feel better about the whole situation. Because if you can just laugh at it, then what's the nothing else can be bad. That's words to live by, first of all. <laughs> uh, second of all, what, what do they say? Well, I mean, my sister was watching Harry Potter last night and freeze-framed on the scene that I got the word wrong with the subtitles on and just kind of did like a slow 
Zoom and on the word, and then just like posted it on her story and tagged me in it. <laughs> the other day, I said something. I went, oh, um, oh, I think they were brothers, and my dad just went, are you sure they weren't twins? I mean, it's just nonstop. It's this is going to follow me for the rest of my life, and this is like now the one thing that everybody's going to make fun of. So that's the that's the Scottish uh, ruthlessness for you. But yeah, I feel if you can live amongst that and survive, then I'm uh, I'm gonna like you, and that's how I felt when you told me that. You've sort of seamlessly set up a transition to the obvious question: is why did you leave Scotland? How did you end up in Texas? There's actually a lot of Scottish people in Houston specifically, mostly because this is such a big oil and gas town, and Scotland is quite a lot of engineers and uh, also an oil and gas port in Aberdeen so whenever we moved here for the first like two years we only hung out with other Scottish people because there's like a little community I mean my mum and dad live on a street and there's two British families that also just randomly live on that street wasn't planned we're just seemingly everywhere um but it was my dad's job that brought us over um we were only supposed to be here for three years. It was just like a kind of trial run. And now that it's been about 20 years and, and every so often we kind of were like, okay, uh, Louise will graduate high school and we'll move back. Or Amy, that's my sister, she'll graduate and then we'll, we'll all go back. But it's one of those weird things. After a couple of years, you start putting roots down in a place. And the roots in Houston were really strong and strong enough to, to keep us here, even though the rest of our family is back in Scotland. So before we talk about the way it is now, how old were you when you left Scotland? I was 10 when okay. we moved. And so you hear, we're moving to America. What do you think? And you hear, we're moving to Texas. What do you think? I was thrilled. I was really excited. And it was for one reason only. We had we have some like extended extended family who lived in California so I had been over to California I think twice kind of as a kid went to Disneyland did all that but I was obsessed with Nickelodeon and the Disney Channel when we came over on holiday and I would just sit and I would watch all that in Keenan and Kale and then go back to Scotland and you couldn't get couldn't get it so when they told me we're, we're, we're going to move to America, the first thing I thought was, I'm going to be able to watch Keenan and Kel all day. This is, um, this is absolutely amazing. So I was, I was excited. I don't think at that age also you're thinking about the ramifications of like, you're not going to be able to see your gran every day. And, you know, you're leaving a lot behind because you're just like, I'm going to America. This is, oh my God, this is amazing. Um... I did think I was going to have a horse, 100%. Thought I was going to ride a horse to school. Thought that would be our primary mode of transportation. Kind of thought everyone would be walking around in like cowboy boots and hats and, you know, leathered vests. And it was not that. <laughs> there are definitely places that you can get that, but Houston is not that. <laughs> When you arrived, was there any sort of culture shock? We were talking about the humor, the way people are with each other. Was there any sort of thing you're like, hold on, this is not something I thought about being in transition? That's I always say that obviously the UK and the US, we share a language. So it's not like I was coming over and there was a huge language barrier, anything like that. But the culture shock is extremely real. And I think even more so in the South. I think I always say if we had moved maybe to like the East Coast, it wouldn't have been as jarring of a kind of cultural adjustment. Um, my mum and all, I always joke that New Jersey is like the Scotland of America. And that's purely just from watching like reality shows about people in New Jersey. But like that sense of like family and the humour and kind of the bluntness and all of that, like, we, we really relate to that but here it's definitely more sweet but kind of fake sweet you know people don't really tell you how you're they're feeling but you'll figure that out eventually for your own so I think <laughs> that was an adjustment I would say I would also say 
you know, we came from a really small village. So, do you know um, Susan Boyle, that kind of older Scottish woman? We're from a village, like, two over from her. So I've got an auntie who lives next door to her, actually. So it's not like we're from Edinburgh, Glasgow. I mean, we're talking, like, a tiny, tiny village. And everything truly did seem bigger in Texas. I mean, it just was mad to come here and see how big the churches were because I'm used to like a kind of 900 square foot stone building and now I'm in a mega place with like IMAX screens above the stage so it it definitely was um yeah a bit a bit jarring and and a little bit scary I think when when we settled in finally and we're like this is where we live now um I think there was a bit of fear for everyone um, and you know Texas is such a it's not like you moved to North Dakota or uh, Michigan like Texas has such an aesthetic so many preconceived notions about it what do people back home think when you say oh we're in Texas what do they think of where you are people like love to come visit us and vacation mm-hmm. here because it does seem quite glamorous I think in the in the UK because you do have such a strong visual and like for example we have some family members that came over to visit us and um it's like my mum's cousin was obsessed with Dallas the TV show when she was younger like that 80s kind of soap opera and all she wanted to do when she came was go to Dallas and see Dallas now who else you know, in the States has got, oh, I have to go to Dallas. Dallas is amazing. Mm. But for people in Scotland, it actually seems quite a glamorous, exciting destination to go to. Um, So yeah, people love it. I mean, I think if we went over there to visit and so, oh, where you live? And we said like, you know, yeah, North Dakota, they'd be like, "Mm mm-hmm, wouldn't have a clue where it was on a map. But everyone everywhere, I think, has at least a preconceived knowledge of what they think Texas is. Mm. I think people think it's really like a cowboy, Wild West type place. I think people have just taken kind of Western movies, associated that with Texas, and that's the vibe that they have. Um, And like I said, there's definitely places where that is true. I think I've become really defensive of Texas, especially in the last, I don't know, four to eight years, Um, because I do live in Houston. Houston is an incredibly vibrant and diverse and blue city, and it bucks every notion that I think people have of Texas and the United States. So I always see like something happens and it happens in Texas and you go on Twitter and you see all of these, oh, well, you know, it's their fault and they're just a bunch of, you know, rednecks or this is what they get. And I just think this is true for every state, but the stereotype is there for a reason, but it is also not the defining trait of everyone in that place. So Mm -hmm. I went to school near Austin. Now, Austin could be transported to any place in California and you would feel like you completely fit in it's incredibly I mean it's quite a hippy dippy liberal you know very tech forward city Houston is always voted the most diverse city in this country so we have more kind of um, diversity per capita than any other city in the United States meaning you can look up any um like restaurant or kind of food type that you want from any country around the world and guaranteed you will find a restaurant for that in Houston and even Dallas I mean Dallas is definitely the most like shishi posh of the major cities but even that is quite a laid-back vibe so yeah I think Texas for good reason sometimes gets a bad reputation but I just don't think that that reputation is really indicative of most of the people that live here. And um, yeah, I've become really protective of where I live, I think, in the last few years. Hmm. Every state has like, if you had to kind of associate a word with it or, or a, 
an idea or a vision of what the person who looks like would be to live in that state. Your New York is going to be kind of like a cool city person, like a business person. California, you know, like a beach surfer kind of vibe. Texas would be like a redneck, old school cowboy hat with the Stetson. But that is, you know, you're just as likely walking down a street in Houston to see the punk rocker with the mohawk and the studied vest on, um, who clearly is not fitting into that stereotype that you've built up of someone who lives in Texas. So I think that's true for, yeah, for every state. And I think that's like a hard, because even I do it sometimes and, and, um, yeah, I'll see a news story about a particular state and already have an opinion formed in my, in my mind of that place that, you know, you you can't judge everyone in a place just by that one kind of reputation that it has. Um, yeah. And I think because Texas does have such like a aesthetic, as you said, I think we get it probably more than most. Wow. Another uh, seamless transition because, you know, we do have preconceived notions about states. So I am curious to hear your preconceived notion about the state we're going to talk about today. Um, are you waiting in suspense? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Louise, what do you know about the state of Kentucky? Oh, see, this is where I'm just going to make myself look like a complete hypocrite. <laughs> Because my mind just automatically went to, oh God, that's where Mitch McConnell's from. <laughs> Broken old crow, as uh, yeah. coined by Donald Trump. One of my favorite of his nicknames. Oh, Broken old crow. oh God, yeah, the, the turtle himself. And God, is Rand Paul the other one from that, yeah. from Kentucky? Yeah. yeah, which should, yeah, that's where my mind straight went in just like a negative way, but I shouldn't do that. Um, Kentucky also, I would say, the Derby, I think, is also what kind of comes to mind right off the bat. Um, I think that's quite a unique, uniquely Kentucky thing. And then probably bourbon. And I mean, naturally only because my uh, brother-in-law, he goes to Kentucky um, to buy bourbon for the restaurant group that he works for. So I guess if you're, you're into drinking that, you know, it's kind of like what whiskey is to Scotland, uh, bourbon is to Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot to like in, in your preconceived notions about Kentucky. There's, um, have, yeah. you, have you ever been? Horse racing and drinking, yeah. <laughs> drinking bourbon. Yeah. Um, no, I have never been. I only know where it is on the map because, when, especially when I first moved here and I, was, I think I was trying to learn where all the states were, there's kind of like, it makes like a little man and he's holding the tray, which is Tennessee. And on top of it is fried chicken, which is Kentucky, Kentucky fried chicken. So it is actually one of the few states that I can point out on a map without needing to reference something because I know that little man and I know he's Tennessee is the tray and Kentucky is the chicken on the tray. I have absolutely never heard of that before. Um, Are you I serious? Love it because it, uh, yeah, Kentucky does look like a little drumstick. I agree. Um, well, when you look next time, it's like the ones to the left of it make like a little man with kind of a pot belly and he's holding a tray and Kentucky's on it. And Louisiana is like the feet. Okay, I'm I'm confirming this. I, I believe you. I, just, I need to see for myself. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, I guess the head is Iowa. Yeah. Uh, Missouri is his... <laughs> Fat little body. Uh, <laughs> Arkansas is his uh, hip area. It's like he's wearing a little hat. He's standing and he's holding Kentucky on the tray of Tennessee. Wow. So, I, it's a chef's hat. Yeah. So whoever's listening, go pull up a map. You'll see what I'm talking about. I thought everyone knew that. It's actually crazy because Iowa is, there is a nose and there's almost like a small uh, <laughs> lips almost. And a little goatee. Yeah. I can't believe I've never been taught this before. Wow. I'm actually kind of upset. You learn. You, that's why I'm here, you know, to teach you something new. Listen, <laughs> I, I, I said before we started recording, I learned something new in every single one of these. And I hope this isn't the only thing, but if it is, I <laughs> will be satisfied. Okay, great. You know about Kentucky and you've taught me something new about the state of Kentucky. Just, this is not a test, but I'm just wondering if you know any cities in Kentucky? Do you know 
the capital. The capital is actually very hard. I'm trying. No. Okay, is well, Louisville, Kentucky a place? Yes, it is. And the reason I'm laughing is I, when I was there, I was taught how to say it. And someone says it's, it's Louisville. And my oh. brother uh, is interviewing for one of his residencies there. And whenever I ask him about it, I'm like, oh, did you interview in Louisville? He'll just be like, oh, did, did I interview in Louisville? Like, like, <laughs> I, or I might go down to Louisville. <laughs> I try to say it. It's like Edinburgh. You, you did great. You, you know more than the average Scott, I think, about it. So I'll just kind of dive in, give some context for these recordings. We've got three. So the first place I went was a town called Owensboro, Kentucky. And I, I vividly remember on my way, big nuclear plant. Just that's fixed into the topography of my, of my mind. A very flat, beige land. Winter, so it was very foggy. Not super hilly. Uh, and I was going because on my trip, I'm not sure if you know this, I stayed with people that were sort of referred to me by friends. Like, oh, I know so-and-so here. They'd be happy to host you. And so I stayed with this lovely couple, um, two, two dudes. Um, but they had this pit bull that, you know, when I'm sitting and talking to them about life, one worked at a call center. I don't remember what the other did. But while we're sitting and talking, they're like, oh, play, play with his toy. And I should say I grew up with a pit bull, so I, I know my way around them. But every single time that toy got back in my hand, the pit bull was going to bite my hand off. So it really became <laughs> a game of like, take it, throw it out as fast as I can. I was 100% sure I was going to go to the hospital. So anyway, I wanted to do something in Owensboro. So I went to meet an interfaith pastor. We met at a Starbucks, talked a little about her efforts to corral the interfaith community uh in a pretty conservative part of the state her name is claudia she's she's a pastor and so let's listen to my recording of my time at starbucks with claudia so owensboro has been moving to do more interfaith work and it's been a, a, a start and stop process and it, it's stopped several times but at this point we have about 10 years of experience in and the Owensboro Davis County Ministerial Association has taken on an interfaith identity. We have some ongoing interfaith projects and we also have an annual interfaith event that's two and a half weeks long that's called Faith Fest. And it's billed as an opportunity to meet your neighbors and learn about their traditions in a non-threatening way. So, any faith group is willing and happy to see you come anytime. Knock on the door and they're gonna invite you in. Uh, but this eases the entry because you know that at this time of the year, they have people there who are prepared to answer your questions without using too much language that you're not gonna understand. And they know that they're gonna be prepared to show you where you need to go and how to do stuff without you having to worry about trying to blend in. Mm -hmm. And so um, we divide those events into three primary categories. There are straight out educational events. We have prayer events uh, where you're invited to a regular service, but the difference is that they have explanatory handouts or they have people with cards that you know, give you to tell you what's going on and what order things will be in. And the third would be fellowship events. So we have a concert or we have, um, you can go to the one of the soup kitchens and help on Saturday night and meet people. And yeah, so they're in those three different categories. Mm -hmm. And this year, after eight years of work, was the first year that we had actual dialogue events as part of that. And the first of those two events was uh, an event called a forgiveness panel, which was an all-adult panel, and it involved people from the Hindu community, the Sikh community, uh, Methodist Church, a Cooperative Baptist Church, the Islamic Center, and a practitioner of the Folkways, which is a pagan group. Mm -hmm. uh, it worked out to be a group that had uh, two women and four men, two people who had bor been born in other countries and four who had been born here. 
uh, you know, we had two Dharmic religions, we had two Abrahamic religions, we had a couple that didn't fit anywhere, mm. you know. Um, and it, it was one of those things that we didn't know was going to happen until the night before. We had done a lot of groundwork, uh, but there were actual language barriers with a couple of the communities, and it involved a couple of trips back and forth across the river to make sure that we actually saw people face to face to communicate what we wanted and hoped would happen, as well as email communications to which we kept getting answers like, yep, or okay, or, and we didn't know what that meant and whether or not that was really going to happen, or if, yes, you're just acknowledging you got the material, or yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we didn't know what any of those things meant. And so we had these extra trips in between to make it happen. And finally, the night before, we knew we actually had people. And these six people who had never met each other and who had only had email for preparation that day of, they didn't even have any more preparation than the email that had been sent, somehow did exactly what you would hope would happen in an interfaith dialogue. And that was both the culmination of eight years of work with Faith Fest and 11 years of work with Interfaith Thanksgiving and Interfaith Ministerial Association and also the beginning of because it took us all that time to get to the beginning um, so that's that's kind of the those are the basics of what we're doing with Faith Fest and the interfaith work Okay, Louise, that was my conversation with Claudia. Any thoughts, inspirations? Yeah, it's so interesting because I really don't feel like I knew that there were kind of interfaith churches until, I don't know, maybe like eight years ago, um, at least here in Texas. In Scotland, everyone kind of goes to church when they're kids, but you have the choice of, you know, Church of Scotland, the Protestant church, or you go at the Catholic church. At least in my small uh, town when I was growing up, that's how it was. The first thing we did when we moved here to kind of meet people was a neighbour said, oh, you should come to church with us. Okay, sounds like a great idea. And, and I know I said a little bit at the beginning, but I mean, it was like a giant mega church, not quite Joel Osteen, but pretty close. And we really, really got into that community. I mean, I did plays and musicals and I was in like the choir and the youth group and I mean, all the way through like middle school and into high school. And then I kind of got told on to the youth pastor at one point that I was, I guess, talking to the wrong crowd at lunch and listening to inappropriate bands like Good Charlotte. <laughs> yeah they kind of wanted to do an intervention with me and to go back to like the real Scottish attitude my mum was just like absolutely not and we never went back I mean we just completely just never went back I mean I'm a big like lover of people and just like want to kind of know everyone's stories and be involved in their business but I'm also like a notorious goody two-shoes a full rule follower a teacher's pet just terrified of authority and the one Scottish person who waited until they were 21 to drink absolutely I mean that is just who I am so the notion that I was struggling with demons and needing an intervention from the church just completely like pissed off my mum and and that was honestly kind of like our end of our religious days here like you know we, we just didn't go back to church and so when we moved, I moved downtown after college. I lived with my sister and we went to the Pride Parade. And then I see this kind of float coming along and it's like a church. And I was a bit not expecting that at a Pride Parade. And that's when I realized that there is actually quite a lot of interfaith churches downtown in Houston and churches that are accepting of all different cultures and there's churches that for instance you can go and you can take a communion if you're catholic but you know if you're not you can just listen to the service so this idea of kind of this new i would say like new era of religion especially in like a more conservative state as um yeah, I think really exciting for me. And, and I thought that was a really interesting audio clip to listen to. Um, I have one statement and two questions. <laughs> well, the first thing is I was sent a clip by you of you in a, I believe, in a play at that church dressed in a cheerleader's outfit. 
Yeah, the the uh, character's name was Valerie Dictorian, obviously. She was the head cheerleader slash radio DJ slash valedictorian of, of Promise University, trying to kind of teach her co-host at the radio show about famous Christians throughout history, like, you know, Pocahontas. <laughs> An interesting play that I participated in as a child. And, and Pocahontas really... was obviously no way coerced. <laughs> and, and I mean, just to preface, we were like nine and 10 or like 10 and 11 when this happened. This was very early into me moving here. But do you think you could maybe kind of like guess what the girl who played Pocahontas looked like? Um, I'm guessing she was white. Blonde hair, blue eyed, the most like Miss America looking girl ever. Sang a full song. It was... Look, I, I found the tapes of this, which is what I sent to you. And watching it back, I was just like, oh, this could become a really popular TikTok video. That was my first thought. <laughs> Post it, please. <laughs> the content I need. Um, okay, second question is, tell me about this girl, the Marietta Edgecombe, if you will. Tell me about this girl who betrayed you and why. Well, it really was just like your classic middle school drama, I would say. Um, And it all happened at a lunch table. And so it was just kind of like, well, and I, the girl that I was like kind of talking to that I think that was concerning them, like I thought she was really cool because she like pierced her own ears with a potato and a needle. (laughs) That's that's very cool, yeah. And in that very like 2002 middle school era like you know lots of like hot topic t-shirts and studied belts and I kind of was like fascinated with that um look so it was almost just like I had kind of like turned from like one side of the table which was like all my church friends and like slowly just started turning to like the other side and like ask what are you you know asking questions and I think maybe that just like rubbed some people the wrong way and, you know, told their parents and it all just kind of became bigger than it it needed to be. But I, I, I think... I can't believe an adult took action based on <laughs> an observation from a middle school girl. Well, you know, like, those good Charlotte boys, Ryan. I mean, they really were leading girls down the wrong path with, you know, songs like Lifestyles of the Rich and the Famous. It's inappropriate. Whenever I go back to Scotland, I always go to church. It's like the best experience because it's not, well, first of all, they're not mega churches. So a lot of them are closing down because they just don't have the money to keep going. But I think when you take mon- the money out of the qu- out of the equation, that is like a area that I'm just so much more familiar with and like want to be around because I don't hate church and I didn't d- didn't hate it then and I don't hate it now and I think everyone has like their own personal relationship with like religion or faith. I enjoy going to church when I go home with my gran. It's basically sing a couple of hymns, read a couple of passages from the Bible you know, say a couple of prayers, Bob's your uncle, there's tea and coffee on the way out and, and a couple of biscuits. And everyone there is like 85 and older. It's my dream. Like I only want to be surrounded by elderly people and, you know, singing hymns. Um, but here I just, it, it's like the commercialization of everything here. I feel it, it creeps into everything and that's the one place that I just don't want it. Yeah, I had a great conversation with, our friend Brandon about Liberty University and how stuff that faith should be so private has really trickled into people's personal lives and the culture in a way that maybe isn't the most helpful. Okay, so we're going to move on to the second conversation I had, which was at the Actors Theater of Louisville. Louisville, 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 however you say it. And I was connected to the Actors Theater by a really awesome guy who lived in uh, Indianapolis named Lou Harry. And I got tickets to their Christmas shows and they have this amazing apprentice program. So young actors, young producers, young theater marketers, uh, young set designers from all over the United States apply for this internship, this apprenticeship for a year. And they come and live in Louisville and they work at the Actors Theater. Some of the 
you know, actors get to be in main stage productions, the marketers work in the marketing department, et cetera, et cetera. So it's this really great hub for young people, college grads from all over the world to come to a part of the country that they may only think of as, you know, chicken on a plate, bourbon, broken old crow. So <laughs> let's listen to that conversation. So the first question I have for both of you is, what is your name and what are you doing here in Kentucky? Great. So I'm Laura Mullaney um, and I'm the communications apprentice this season at Actors Theatre as a part of the professional training company. I'm Charlie Stevens. I'm the marketing apprentice at Actors Theatre of Louisville as part of the professional training company. So I think that what's really exciting about Louisville is there is like obviously like a lot of great theaters happening. But I think that a lot of great art in general is happening here. Yeah, it's definitely like the unsung hub of, of art in, True. in America, I feel like. There's a lot of, uh, there's kind of an intersectionality of like the South and the Midwest. And then yeah. you get things of, you know, theater and art and music and ballet and opera. It's really exciting. Also like working in communications and like talking to the press and stuff, like people are really responsive too to like the work the work that's mm -hmm. happening here and the things that are happening in the community and i think they're really like more than any other city that i've seen they're really open to like being affected mm -hmm. by by the things that are happening yeah. in the community yeah i think the, the conversations yeah in and the topics being covered in art in the city are really like the important things the important topics that Amer america's dealing with right Agreed. now and the community is really responsive and really receptive to like engaging with those topics, which is really great. And I think it's like, it, we've gotten to a point where the community really trusts us. Yeah. And like, they may have come in just to see a Christmas Carol or Dracula, but because they now yeah. know the caliber of our work and like how committed we are to them as a community, they're willing to trust us and come see a Curious Incident of yeah. the Nighttime or Adult's House Part Two. Also like, the one of the directors of our program told us this story on the first day and I'll never forget it. He was like, I like was sitting in a bar and I heard these two like bros in an argument with each other. And he was like, tr he was like trying to listen in. And the bro was like, no, like I'm a diehard for Dracula. Like I just love Dracula like through and through. And the other guy was like, no, like the new shit. Like that's where it's at, man. Like I live for Humana. Like bro, that shit's amazing. And so like as crazy as it's like, I do really think that they are like mm -hmm. Charlie said like they do trust us and they are like excited about the work that we're doing mm -hmm. here yeah and the thing with the Humana Festival that I don't think a lot of people realize is like yes it's this huge industry thing we have people from all across the country professionals coming to Louisville to see one of the biggest theater festivals in the country but the majority of the people who attend are actually locals people yeah. from the community who are just excited about these new plays and excited right. about what we're doing and the new artists we're bringing in yeah um, somebody had like face. I run the Facebook account, and somebody had messaged like, I don't understand. Like with, with the whole Dracula thing, a reviewer had posted an article about how like Dracula fights back, and like or like this year, and like it's more about the women. And we just quoted that review and put it on our Facebook page. And somebody had messaged the account, being like, I don't understand. Like why you've come to make theater so political? Like, um you know like it's theater supposed to be fun and like I don't understand why but it's like theater is inherently like always going to be political and it's like even Dracula right mm -hmm. so like is political in itself and like that story is you know tell like mm -hmm. theater is always going to be politi political mm -hmm. like Santa Land Diaries is political like it's all you know mm -hmm. so it's always going to be reflected of the time I think it's one of the really nice things is they don't have to be exclusive. No. Like, you can come to the theater and you can have so much fun. You can be entertained. You can be, enjoy yourself. It can just be like a really engaging, thrilling time. For sure. But it can also cover uh, really engaging and insightful topics that you know we kind of need to discuss right now. It can be political. It can have that social commentary. Always. It can be meaningful, but also entertaining at the same time. And a good theater does both, mm -hmm. right? Like you leave people will come to the Humana Festival and they'll see the shows and mm -hmm. they'll enjoy, like theater is inherently an enjoyable experience mm -hmm. but it also like sometimes not enjoyable theater like really makes you think about things so mm -hmm. do you think there are opportunities at a regional theater that don't exist in New York or Chicago absolutely number one being that it's a it's like partially a financial thing for, I think that we have opportunities here that are like unlike any other experience that I've ever had just because of like 
the, the amount of money that the seer has. I think there's definitely opportunities here that you don't find anywhere else, like the professional training company, which we're a part of, which brings in, you know, 42 apprentices, young, um, early career professionals from across the country and lets them really hone their craft and work with professionals. Like I, looking around, like leaving college and looking for employment, I didn't see that anywhere else in the country no. on such a scale and getting to do the same work. Okay, Louise, what did you think of my conversation with the apprentices at the Actors Theatre? I loved this. I think the thing that stood out the most to me is um, the young women kind of said that, you know, access to the arts and expanding on the arts is really important, especially kind of it sounded like in the place that that theatre was. And I think that is so true for anywhere in the country and really anywhere in the world, because I think having programs that encourage the arts in different cities only enrich it as a place and you know I think whether it's film and television or live theater or art galleries whatever it is you are providing entertainment so there's probably people that are going to be there that you know got dragged along or found cheap tickets or needed something to do and that medium can communicate so many ideas so beautifully and even things like um I think they said like oh well we just do Carol and Dracula every year um because we know people will come and see that but I think that's great because anytime that someone leaves their house goes to a theater sees live theater that they you know wouldn't have have necessarily gone before to me that is such a win yeah and if theaters don't do it that means that the mega churches are going to do theater and it's going to be uh, white Pocahontas and it's yeah. radio host, cheerleader character. Um, so no, I, I do think it is uh, really important. The truth is great theater exists in every city in the country. And the people that are, are taking on these roles and trying to make a living in the arts in a place that, you know, doesn't have quick access to big auditions or, um, tv or movie productions like i think that is such a valiant thing because a lot of the time these people are just doing this like on the side they have like a full other job and then they do this um and, and provide this entertainment to their community so i think yeah i think these programs are amazing that's awesome well moving on to the very last recording uh which is my experience at comic-con louisville was having their own comic-con and this really was the recording that made me think of you. People dressed as superheroes that I'm less familiar with, dressed as Harry Potter characters that I'm very familiar with. I've actually never been to one before. So watching this sort of, uh, I, I haven't identified as a nerd uh, until very recently, but this nerdgasm, like where I felt very much at home, talking to Potters and Wonder Womans <laughs> was super fun. So let's listen to my recording uh, with the Comic-Con crowd. So what are your names, first names, and what are you doing here today? My name is Meg, and this is the first con I've ever gone to, so I'm just kind of taking everything in. Wow. I'm Julia. I'm Meg's roommate. I'm, we're cosplaying Harry Potter and being nerds. <laughs> I'm Kelsey. This is not at all my first con. Go to me. Sam, I'm just enjoying my first time here as well. Amazing. So, I'm not sure I understand. It's Supercon, right? Yeah. And so, I'm seeing Harry Potter. I'm seeing Big Lebowski. I'm seeing Groot. What is it all about? Um, it's kind of just like a mod podge of like whatever your interests are. Like there are things ranging from like anime to like old vintage cartoons to movie and TV show and comic book, whatever. What What is your costume? Captain Marvel. See, I don't know anything about these. So this is your first one, and this is your first one. What brought you here? A friend? Jules. <laughs> Jules. And what brought you here? Uh, I heard about it a couple days ago from one of my friends, and I was looking for somebody to go with, and they told me she was going. Uh, I, don't, I wouldn't say that Harry Potter is my favorite or any one specific, but I do like a lot of the things here, and I was reading through the schedule, and I was like, ooh, this is cool shit. I was like, yeah, I gotta go. Nice. Yeah. So what do you do when you're in there? Well, there's the dealer room upstairs where you can buy different sort of things. I mostly come for costuming, so I meet other people who do costumes and I get my picture taken. Did you make this? Hell no. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> no. 
Yeah. So what, what do you do? When you, is, is there a Harry Potter section? Um, there was a meetup yesterday, but we both um, have class through Friday, so. Mm -hmm. I don't know, where, do you guys go to school here? At U of L, yeah. yeah. U of L, amazing. Um, so what does the Harry Potter meetup entail? Basically, it seems just like, like a, like people who were in costume for this fandom could all like gather in one spot. They could like meet each other, get their pictures taken. Just kind of like a way to meet people of mutual interest. Have you seen a lot of other Harry Potter costumes? Not today. No. We've seen a Dumbledore. We've seen just a guy in a Slytherin robe who's bringing a son. It's really cute. We've seen a goblin. That was the, that was the coolest one. Wow. AT and T is all fantastic beasts. That's thing. true. But there's only one guy in costume there. I think he was just dressed, dressed to the nine. So it's a lot about the photos. Mm -hmm. um, so how does this compare to the other Supercons you've been to? Well, this is the only one of Supercon that I've been so what's, to. So what, what are the hierarchies of cons? <laughs> is there? Um, well, you're going to have your San Diego Comic-Con and your New York Comic-Con and your C, yeah, C2E2, which are like some of the biggest. And then there's the Disney Con, uh, D23. And they're like 10 times larger than this, 20 times larger. They're gigantic. Um, this one actually used to be Derby City Con, but it was recently rebranded to Supercon. Okay. So it's, it's fairly small, but they just redid this convention center. I think this is the first year that they have been able to use it. And I think it looks pretty good. Have you been to the other big ones? In yeah, yeah. Uh, not San Diego. Crazy, but I did go to New York and it's pretty cool. And I go to C2 to like every year I can. Do you think you'll come back next year? Absolutely, yeah. How many more days is it? It's yesterday, Tomorrow. today. Yeah. Is there a big end ceremony where? Probably will be. I wasn't coming tomorrow. So. Yeah. Uh, most people only go for a day. I mean, usually it's typical to go for three days, or like two days. We all just like we all have things to do tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this one's local for us, so. It's not such a big Yeah, it's not a big commitment. Like, if I go to the ones in Chicago, I'll try to do as much as I can since I'm there. But for this one, I could just go home. The prices vary each day, too. So if you wanted to get, like, a big VIP pass, you could go all weekend. But today, it was only, I think, like, 35 bucks to come. It just yeah. depends. Oh, really? There's also, like, celebrities here and, like, that you can meet, like, from certain shows or, like, comic artists. And you, like, get your picture, like, do a photo off with them and stuff like that. Like, I think William Shatner is lurking somewhere. Yeah, he's here. Really? He's here yeah. somewhere. And so there's just big lines to wait for people. Oh, yeah. Star Wars. I forgot about Star yeah. Wars. It's literally everything. Oh, yeah. um, what's the most surprising thing that's here? Like Harry Potter, Star Wars. Is there something that you're like, um, I like saw made in Manhattan? dressed as a Sailor Moon version of the Starbucks girl. I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> I saw... Oh, sorry. I saw a shark for the Big Lebowski cosplay. Yeah, that was cool. Um, Thanos was in... Like a Santa hat, which yeah. was interesting. Interesting. Who's Thanos? He was the um, primary villain in the newest um, Avengers movie. Oh, okay. Real big purple guy. Kind of like Grimace but buff. Wow, that's that's sexy. Um, <laughs> cool. Anything else you guys want to tell me about this? Well, I hope you see more of Louisville than this. Okay, Louise, you big nerd. Did that? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I actually have to end this interview because you didn't know who Thanos was. So, bye! See ya! <laughs> I'm not a huge Avengers person. Things are overrated. Obviously. Okay, well, that's a separate discussion that we will be having in a, in a few months' time. Um, <laughs> um, well, obviously I'm a huge Harry Potter nerd, but I am known to dabble in other fandoms. And maybe known to go to some local conventions of my own by myself. Because <laughs> oh. no one will go with me. Um, yeah, so I thought this was great. And I think comic book conventions are very nerdy. Can be very awkward, but are so fun and such an experience. And I highly encourage, especially now because they are like half about comics, but they're also like mostly about gaming and media. And you get all these kind of like random celebrities and wrestlers showing up. Like there is something for everyone. And I highly encourage everyone to find one in your city and go just for a day because it's such a fun day out. I, I guess I didn't realize 
wasn't just comic books. I, I didn't realize that there were all the nerdy things I liked, too. So I, anytime you want to go, I've got a Professor Snape costume waiting to go, a Professor Umbridge costume, a very decrepit Professor Dumbledore costume. They're all in the closet. I'm ready to go. I, I could pull together a McGonagall real quick, and, and we could um, paint the town red. I'm going to look up Comic-Cons in the area after this. They are Isn't fun. That- I mean, they're, they are really awkward, I will say. Um, so... I was really into, well, I am really into the MCU, and I was really into the, uh, like, Netflix Marvel TV shows. Mm -hmm. Uh, So, one year at our Comic-Con, Charlie Cox, he's like a British actor, he plays uh, Daredevil, Matt Murdock. He was in town, and he also was in this movie, Stardust. It's like a really underrated fantasy movie. It's so good. It's oh, I know. It's gay Robert De Niro, the pirate. Oh, yes. Quite familiar. It's truly such an underrated movie. Michelle Pfeiffer killing in it. It's so good. Um, So I went to his panel. I mean, I didn't ask a question. I just like to go, you know, watch the panels. Um, But some of the questions that people get up and ask, are a bit you're kind of sitting there like oh god why are you asking this that makes me uncomfortable yeah but I really do just like walking around and some of the like I mean a lot of it is like an exhibition right so it's like people coming to sell their uh, art or their comics or Funko Pops or whatever they sell so there is like a big uh, marketplace aspect of it and man, some of the like art and things that people create are out of this world. And it also kind of reminds me of like, have you ever been at a Renaissance festival? Once here in Kansas City. And it was, I, I wish I had put more into it because people go whole hog. Okay, it's the same, I think that's the same vibe as like a Comic-Con because like people are just fully leaning into things that they love and I think a lot of people like lean into that all the time but some people that are there, like me, you're heavily leaning in for a weekend and just letting your kind of freak flag fly and then you're going back to your corporate job on Monday and I think Renfest is a bit the same, it's like on a Friday you're closing up shop at your accounting firm or wherever you work and on Saturday you've got your full you know tits out in a corset and you're speaking in old English like that dichotomy of going from being like a really normal boring person and then having like this one weekend where you can just truly let everything that you probably hide down through the week is the best ever and so again like in my mind Kentucky wouldn't have a comic-con but of course they do and of course there's big nerds in Kentucky that like want to go meet uh, random actors from the sci-fi channel for a weekend. Big nerds in Kentucky. That's that's my takeaway from this episode. <laughs> I, I just gotta ask, do you think there's a world in which we are invited as part of the Harry Potter canon? To Maybe Comic-Con? you. You're the one that gets all the hate videos on TikTok, so you probably could make a career out of this. Someone said that you're more hated than Cho Chang, so I think... Uh... <laughs> I'm, a, I'm officially the most hated Ravenclaw. Cho Chang, she's like feeling great right now because I exist. Marietta <laughs> Edgecombe is actually the, the most hated one, but that's that's neither here nor there. Okay, well, this has been an amazing discussion. I have thoroughly enjoyed every single second of it. Big nerds from Kentucky, uh, you've taught me the chef holding the plate and Kentucky's chicken. <laughs> I've, I've become a better person. Is there anything else you would like to say about Texas or bourbon or freak flag fly? Well, I really just think like we should at some point, you know, we should be in Kentucky at a comic book convention doing shots of bourbon, you know, standing on Tennessee in our little chicken outline of a state. And, With uh, Mitch McConnell. Yeah, you know, standing Mitch McConnell, continuing to vote him as a senator. You know, <laughs> I think that sounds like a nice uh, follow-up to this discussion, which I agree has been lovely, as always, to uh, speak to you, even when you're being very Scottish and, you know letting that sarcasm out that's true it's, you're, uh, you're, you're an honorary scot in my heart ryan wow i'm going to <laughs> buy myself a plot of land in scotland and get one of those uh get the get the lordship the lordship honorary scot okay that, that means a lot well 
Thank you to my favorite and the the only Scottish Texan I know, but that's probably my favorite Ravenclaw. you're sweet. Thank you so much for uh, indulging me and letting me be on the show, which is amazing. All right, see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of 50 States of Mind. The best way you can help is to leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or just share with your friends. We're really committed to telling the stories across America. So if you know someone who would be good on the podcast, send an email. 50statesofmindusa at gmail.com or find us on Instagram at 50statesofmind. Thanks for listening.